In August of 2017, the Indiana University Police uh, got a lot of people's attention. Uh, you guys probably know that police recruits go through a lot of rigorous testing and things, and specifically they'll go through tests to, uh, to, to measure and to help um, condition these recruits to maintain their focus, to be able to, to stay focused in the, the heat of the moment, um, and even in times where it's just, you know, standing at attention for a period of time, you know, they'll test that and they'll measure that and see how well these young men and women do at uh, being able to focus on what is most important in a given situation and avoid outside unnecessary distractions. Now, often these tests are, of course, uh, rigorous, harsh. They can be painful, even dangerous at times. But in August of 2017, uh, like I said, the Indiana University Police uh, Academy, they released a short little video uh, to the public that showed them testing the focus of these men and women, one particular batch of recruits, with a rubber chicken. Uh, this, is real, this is a real thing. I've got some pictures here for you. You all know what I'm talking about, these rubber chickens. Have you seen these? Okay, this is what they look like if you haven't. Have you heard them? Okay. They <laughs> See, that's the important part. I, I, I really thought about showing a video or, or clipping a little uh, audio file onto this, but I saw a lot of different ways that could go south. Um, and I foresaw those things and thought I better not do that. Uh, getting your attention back after that might be difficult and I, it, I just thought better of it. But hopefully a lot of you know uh, what those sound like. Imagine that being squeezed next to your ear and or in front of your face while you try to stand at attention with, say, you know, 20-some-odd other recruits or more, uh, if they cracked even the slightest smile or showed any, any, any signs, any visible signs of losing their focus, being distracted by the rubber chicken, they were punished with push-ups. And it wasn't just regular old get down and give me, you know, 10, 15, 20. It was the moment that they were told, nope, you cracked. They had to get down in the push-up position, like a plank position, and stay there until he finished going around to every single one of these recruits and checking on them. Then let's all do our push-ups. So the first guy who cracked really paid the price. It was a, it was a real ordeal. A little bit silly, yes, but a, a serious lesson being, being taught here, being learned, uh, a lesson behind it, yeah, uh, there was a, a serious lesson here as well. These police officers are going to face some of the craziest, most dangerous, and critically important situations that life has to throw at a person, and what's, what's their responsibility? Everybody else is counting on them to maintain their focus. Everybody in those situations is counting on them to be able to focus on what is most important in that situation, to be able to think clearly, to be, to be able to make good decisions, and to protect the innocent in those moments. So rubber chicken or something else, it's important that they're able to turn that on when they need to turn that on, right? This morning... As we begin week seven, uh, well, we're going to begin week seven with, of our 90 Days with Jesus by looking back on the last reading, the last chapter you would have read in week six, which is yesterday's reading, uh, Luke chapter four. Um, as a side note, did you guys, as you're flipping there to Luke chapter four, did you realize that we passed the halfway mark this past week? 
Anybody keeping track? Anybody marking off those days? Day 45 was Wednesday, 45 of 90 days. Uh, by my math, that's halfway. So keep up the good work. If you've fallen behind, make sure you do whatever you have to do to catch up because it's important and it is worth it, all right? Um, I want to bring you a message this morning called The Focus of Jesus. The Focus of Jesus. It comes from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. The Focus of Jesus, Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Um, because it's not just police recruits who need to focus or who struggle with focus and need to be tested and measured on their focus, right? We struggle with focus sometimes, right? Anybody else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, some of us feel like we're always in this fog. Um, and when I say some of us, that's why I've included myself in that group. You know, sometimes we feel like we're, we're having a hard time focusing on anything. Uh, often though, the struggle looks like us uh, focusing on the wrong things, which causes us to fail to focus on the right things, of course. And that can be because uh, we don't know what the right thing is. You know, maybe we're struggling to figure out where do I need to put my focus? Where, where should I focus primarily? And so in those cases, we need a little education. We need to figure those things out, find out what sorts of things we should be focusing on, and then do that. But other times, we know what we ought to be focused on, but maybe we don't, and we'll call it a lack of discipline. We'll call it a, a lack of willpower. Maybe that's the, the issue. Yesterday, when we read about the temptation of Jesus, the, the temptation that Jesus faced in the wilderness, we see where his focus was, and we certainly see that he had apparently developed the discipline, the willpower, the ability to, to maintain his focus, to have the right focus, and to maintain that focus, even when things like rubber chickens were being squeezed in his face, all right? Uh, spoiler note, if you didn't make it through last uh, yesterday's reading, there was not actually a rubber chicken, okay? Sorry, I um, just thought I should point that out. I don't want anybody to misunderstand the, the metaphor. All right, <laughs> let's read through the event uh, here again this morning together, and then we'll jump into the teaching points, okay? Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 1. The Bible says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they had ended, he became hungry. Now, think back to that rubber chicken story, okay? Those police officers, those po police recruits, they weren't just told, hey, stand here at attention and maintain your focus, right? Distractions were presented. You know what I mean? Like they weren't just told, hey, stand there. We're not expecting anything to, to throw you off your, you know, off your game, but just stand there and look like you're paying attention. No, they put distractions in front of them, right? Those rubber chickens were squeezed, uh, making it tempting to, to lose their focus, to become distracted, right? Well, Jesus has fasted for 40 days. He's been in the wilderness eating absolutely nothing during that time, and now the Bible says he's become hungry. We're not assuming he's hungry by this point, and, and maybe he's not. Maybe he's Superman. The Bible says he has become hungry here. And it, as he's in this condition, this is when the devil decides to make his move, and that's how the devil works, isn't it? He's actively working to strike when the time is right. When a person is physically um, tired, when they're physically weakened, mentally exhausted, any kind of uh, vulnerable state that he can find you in, going through pain, difficulty, a uh, hard time, frustrated, uh, loss, you name it, that's prime time for the devil most of the time. And that's precisely when we see the devil enter the scene here. Verse three, if you wanna continue reading with me, verse three, it says, and the devil said to him, 
if you are the son of God, and he knew he was, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. And it's right here that we get our first look at the focus of Jesus. And what we see here is a spiritual focus, a spiritual focus. And I know you're tempted to say, well, yeah, he's Jesus. Uh, of course, he's focused on the spiritual things. Guys, he's also a man here, right? John chapter 1, verse 14 says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 says uh, that in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says, since all the children share in flesh and blood, so he also partook of the same, right? Jesus is a man here, and he's been in the wilderness here for 40 days here without having anything to eat here. And the inspired word of God says he's hungry. Y'all know those people who say they can't do anything before they've had their coffee? Ever heard the term, know what the term hangry means? You know, when you're so hungry that it causes you to, to, to mistreat other people, to, to be kind of mean to them like that? Guys, I, I'm, not, I'm not condoning it. I'm not saying that it can't be controlled or, or, you know, overcome, but it is a real thing. People act differently and think differently when they're hungry, when they need something physical like that. And what did the devil do? He said, want some bread? In 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, the Bible says that, it says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is from the world or is not from the Father, but is from the world. Satan was appealing to the lust of the flesh here, wasn't he? Because hunger is a, a fleshly desire. Food is a physical need. Um, there's nothing sinful about our need for physical food to sustain our bodies. But the devil is using this here, uh, this weak moment and this strong desire for food to tempt Jesus to do wrong, to tempt Jesus to sin. He was uh, squeaking that rubber chicken right beside Jesus' face. He was tempting Jesus to misuse his abilities, to do something he shouldn't do. You've probably all heard, or many of you I'm sure have been taught and heard that Jesus never used his miraculous abilities for himself. He, he always used them on others, but I think it's even more important to point out that Jesus never did anything, whether it was supernaturally, miraculously, or, or, or what we might call naturally, never did anything other than glorify God. He never did anything that wasn't something that would glorify his heavenly Father. Jesus, throughout his life on this earth in a physical body, maintained a spiritual focus at all times. He knew that even when he had physical desires, even physical needs, that he had to focus. His, his focus had to remain on the spiritual things. So when the devil tempted him to use his abilities to turn stones into bread for himself, Jesus said in verse 4, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Now, Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3 here, which says, and this is important, listen to this, he humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, listen to the why, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. See, it was a, it was a focus problem, right? They were, they were focused in on the physical bread. They needed to be taught that that's not all there is, right? 
God humbled the Hebrew people, it says here in this way, so that they would learn that lesson, that man does not live by bread alone, that there's more to survival, there's more to life and living than eating and drinking. True life comes from God's word, knowing what he has said and doing it. That's where true life comes from. In Matthew chapter six, Jesus talks about some physical needs. We've read this already, right? Some physical needs that we all have, food, drink, clothing, things like that. And he says not to, what's he say? Don't eagerly seek these things. Does eagerly seeking sound like where your focus is? When you eagerly seek something, you're focused on it, right? We're talking about a focus thing. Don't eagerly seek these things. Uh, Don't focus on these things is what Jesus is saying. And in Matthew chapter six, verse 33, the verse we all know, he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. When you focus on the spiritual God will take care of whatever physical needs you have for you. Okay? If you chase after the physical, you might get some of them, but that's all the reward you get is, is whatever you happen to, to gather up. You know, it's like a real world game of hungry hippos. You know, you're just grabbing what you can. Maybe you get stuff. Maybe other people get stuff. When you focus on the spiritual, you're doing exactly what you should do, and God's going to take care of all the physical stuff that you need. All physical stuff you need. It is so easy to be tempted by the squeaking chickens out here in the world. There are so many uh, things, physical distractions out here in front of us that can cause us and will cause us to lose our spiritual focus. We've all got bills needing paid, houses needing repaired, refrigerators needing stocked, kids needing raised, spouses needing attention, the doctor needing visited. There's all these things that if we spend all our time focused on these things, it'll be at the expense of focusing on spiritual things. You can't do both. You can't fully focus on all this stuff going on around you that you can see and feel and focus on the spiritual. You're gonna lose that. You're gonna, that's gonna be an expense. That's gonna be a cost that you've given up, all right? If it's been a while since you've intentionally thought about and set out to to seek his kingdom and his righteousness, then the devil has distracted you. He's got you focused on his squeaking chicken instead. That's what he's done here. You're distracted and you need to reset your focus and you need to maintain it. You need to keep that focus on the spiritual. All right, let's continue on in our text, picking up where he left off at verse five. Luke chapter four, verse five says, and he, that's the devil, led him, that's Jesus. He led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. See what he's done? He showed Jesus all the kingdoms of of the world in a moment of time. And verse six says, and the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory for it has been handed over to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship me, it shall all be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now what we see here is a lesson about Jesus's singular focus. His singular focus. What did the devil tempt Jesus with here? Well, if we go back to our list from 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, uh, we could say that this fits into the category of the lust of the eyes. And you could, you could look at the whole temptation and maybe add another one in here, but, but really it begins, the devil's tactic here is w- using the lust of the eyes. Satan had Jesus take a good look at the kingdoms of the world, didn't he? You see that? He, he put them before his eyes. He didn't just say, you know all those kingdoms of the world? I'll give them to you. He took him up in a moment of time and showed him all the kingdoms. He put them before his eyes and said, I'll give you all this. Because Jesus may have liked what he saw. 
all right? I mean, other cultures are attractive, other cities are beautiful, other kingdoms are impressive, other nations are, you know, they have breathtaking views. There's a reason so many people want to get away on vacations and see these things. They're interesting, they're beautiful, uh, they're attractive, okay? Jesus probably thought all these kingdoms looked very nice, and the devil was hoping that how nice they looked might entice Jesus, right? It wasn't sinful for Jesus to perhaps, I don't know if he was, you know, he created it, so I'm sure he wasn't just like, you know, I could have done that. Well, he did, right? You know, but um, it wouldn't be sinful for him to be impressed or to, to enjoy the view, but was this clearly a tactic that the devil was using to tempt Jesus to go a step further and sin? To say, ooh, I want that. Or for him to even as the son of God, as, as part of, you know, creating everything, all of this, for him to say like, it's really not fair that you even have it. You know, it's, I made it, you know, I, I want it, you know. That's what the devil was doing. He's saying, look at all this. And he says, worship me and you can have it. Worship me and you can have it. He says, all this domain and its glory, it's another rubber chicken being squeaked right by Jesus' face here. Jesus' response, though, to Satan's temptation uh, demonstrated his singular focus. If you look at how Jesus handled it, it shows that he's focused on one thing and one thing alone. In verse 8, Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. There's only one. There's only one who deserves honor and glory and worship, and service, and that's the Lord your God. Anybody disagree with that? Or did anybody come into this building and not already know that God is the only one who deserves worship and glory and service? Anybody? Anybody not already know that? Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I figured. We're all sort of aware of that, right? You might be tempted then to think that since this is such an obvious thing, it's not difficult to obey. Well, let me, let me remind you, knowing something good and well to be true and then acting on it, behaving as such, doing uh, what you should do as a response to that being the truth, those are different things. Just knowing it and doing it, living according to it, two different things that we need to think about, right? Many know that we should worship and serve God only, yet of the 168 hours that we all have in a given week, many will be lucky to spend 160, or many will be lucky to spend an hour for God. They'll spend 167 of those hours or so for themselves, doing selfish things, serving themselves. Some might spend an hour, maybe even maybe even five hours, come to a few different services throughout the week, come to the evening tonight, come to Bible study on Tuesday. You might spend five hours. So, so somewhere between one and five hours, some people might spend thinking about God, studying his word, spending time alongside brothers and sisters in Christ. That equates to somewhere just north of a half a percent. About six-tenths of a percent, all the way up to a whopping three percent, that's out of a hundred, three percent of a person's week. 0.6% to three percent. If you're here for five hours, if you're part of our assemblies for five hours, that is only three percent of your week. Many will instead devote 21 to 42 hours of each week to the rechargeable God that you carry around in your pocket. Most of you, not all of you. Many people will do that. That's 12.5% to 25% of your week. Many will bow down before a flat screen God for 28 to 56 hours a week. That's 17% up to 33% of your week. A third of your week. And some spend more time than that. Many will, many will uh, waste the 40 hours they have a, at work. 
right? Oh, they'll earn the paycheck, but, but they'll waste the time that God has given them, right? They'll, they'll instead spend that time like it needs to be uh, worshiping down to their, their God like a boss or serving at the, the altar of salary instead of doing what they do, all that they do, even their job as unto the Lord, like the Bible says. If that's how you go to work and that's how you spend your time, that's about 24% of your week wasted. It's a lack of this singular focus that Jesus had. Uh, we might not think we're worshiping these things and we may not, may not think of them as gods, but look at the focus that we're giving them, that we're placing on them. Look at the focus that we're not placing on worshiping and serving God only. When Jesus was shown all these kingdoms of the world, he saw them, he, he didn't let that sway his focus from serving God and God alone. And guys, with all the shiny things that are put before our eyes today, that in a moment of time we could see, I mean, with all the billboards, the commercials, the TV, the smartphone, all the things that are put before our eyes, all the squeaky chickens, if you want to say it that way. We need to remember this singular focus that, that Jesus had and remain committed to worshiping God and God alone. If we continue in the text, picking up at verse 9, Luke chapter 4, verse 9 says, And he led him to Jerusalem. And he had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, again, the devil knows he is. It's, it's a challenge. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. What's the devil doing here? He started quoting scripture now, hasn't he? Psalm 91 verses 11 and 12 are specifically what he's, what he's quoting here to Jesus. Now the devil is quoting scripture here to Jesus. And, and Psalm 91 is, a, a, that entire psalm is about those who trust in the Lord. And verses 11 and 12 are what the devil has pulled out here. But, but this is a, a psalm, like I said, about those who trust in the Lord, all right? But Jesus hears the squeaking chicken for what it really is. When, Jesus, when the devil tries to tempt Jesus to throw himself from a top... The, the bustling, busy temple top here, and, and he backs it up with Scripture, quote-unquote, backs it up with Scripture here. Jesus realizes that what's being put before him is really a picture of, of testing, not trusting. Right? He's using, the devil's using a psalm about trusting the Lord, but, but Jesus sees, no, 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 no. You're, what you're putting before me is an opportunity to test the Lord, not trust the Lord. That's why he answered, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus teaches us a lesson here about a secure focus. There are a lot of Christians today who aren't secure in their relationship with God, with the Lord. Now that's not God's fault, okay? Listen, God can keep you and protect you just as his word says that he can and will. But there are a lot of folks who aren't so sure that he will or that he is able right? Even if I am faithful, which is what would be required for the Lord to be faithful as well in return. You know, even if I am faithful, I just, mm, I just have a hard time trusting God. You know, well, that sounds pretty bad. Yeah, it's just, I have trust problems as it is. With God too? Like, I mean, uh, with people on earth, I get you. <laughs> I understand, you know. It's not a real fun way to live life, you know. But by all means, okay, people, people let you down. But, but with God, God has provided for a secure relationship with them. But many are worried that, that God isn't going to do what his word says he's going to do. They're worried that if they do give him control, he's going to drop the ball. He's going to mess up their life. He, he's going to ruin things that they've worked hard to build up. 
They're worried that if they do devote their lives to him, that he might not sustain them. They're worried that if they do spend a a lot of their time, dedicate their time to proclaiming the gospel, that, that he won't reward that maybe. And so rather than trust God, many will test God. And we don't throw ourselves off the top of, of um, large, busy uh, buildings. You know, we, we don't do that um, and expect God to keep us free from harm. But what do we do? Well, we do things like waiting for God to make the first move. We do things like looking for signs that, you know, God is paying attention. You know, I just want to make sure God sees what's going on here first before I do anything. We expect God to provide the reward before we honor him with obedience. We want some kind of, and I don't know even, and I don't think most people do themselves, know some kind, we want to see some kind of evidence, undeniable evidence, something that no one could could deny, that that God is working right now in this situation, that that he knows what's going on, he's going to make sure everything is okay. I mean, Let's just talk about this. What, what are you going to see that's going to do that for you? What are you going to see that's going to give you undeniable evidence that God is absolutely not going to let anything go uh, against your plans? I think we probably have evidence that would tell us, probably shouldn't expect that. <laughs> I think we have a lot of evidence that says, you know, well, we talked about a couple weeks ago, didn't we? That, that God is going to, and we need to leave room for and expect him to do things in such a way that, that we would never have imagined to accomplish his will. But there's people who, they're, they're going to test God rather than trust God. They're going to say, well, until I see undeniable evidence that God is definitely not going to let this situation go south, well, I'm not moving until I see that. What are you, what are you even looking for with that? Some people will say, well, I'm waiting for God to to show me where he's leading, a.k.a. I'm not doing anything until I feel like it. That's what that is. it's, It's clothed, it's disguised in religious speak, but it's I'm not doing anything until I feel like it. That's backwards, guys. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Now, does God, does this say that God makes paths straight for those who lean on their own understanding and then as a result of what God did for them anyway, then they trust him with all their heart? No, that's backwards, right? God makes paths straight for those who trust him, period. End of sentence, right? We're putting ourselves in the wrong seat if we're testing rather than trusting or testing before trusting, right? That's the wrong seat. God is the one with the immense power and the ability to bless us beyond imagination. We trust first and he always delivers, always. So don't doubt God, trust God. Have the secure focus that Jesus demonstrated, that that focus that wasn't willing or tempted to put God to the test, but simply trusted him in any and all situations, Finally, we got one last verse here. Verse 13 says, when the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. There may not be a lesson here that comes directly from Jesus's words or Jesus's actions, but there is a lesson here nonetheless, isn't there? When we read this, we ought to see our need to maintain a vigilant focus. A vigilant focus. Did you notice that after these temptations were all complete, the devil left him but it also says until an opportune time. The devil wasn't done with Jesus, was he? 
No, not even close. We see the devil at work all throughout Jesus's ministry, but man, his presence is clearly seen in the religious leader's hatred of Jesus, in Judas's betrayal of Jesus, in the disciples' denial of Jesus, in the Romans' crucifixion of Jesus. We see it all over the place. Again, in our text, the devil says, or it says that the devil left Jesus until an opportune time. As we learn from Jesus's spiritual focus and his singular focus and his secure focus, we need to put these things into practice with a vigilant focus, all right? A victory today doesn't ensure a victory tomorrow. Fleeing from the devil today and him fleeing from you, fleeing from that sin and him fleeing from you, does not necessarily ensure that he won't be back later. In fact, we should count on him coming back later. Um, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 10, might say it best even. It says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You see, at the risk of sounding really cliche, and I'm not trying to make this light, but I am trying to make sure we put forth this reality, it is all going to be okay. It is all going to be okay. God is going to care for us. He's going to complete us. He's going to prove himself to us. He's going to strengthen us. He's going to stabilize us but only if we remain vigilantly focused. Only if we remember that the devil isn't going to go away for good until the Lord returns and the devil is put away for good, right? We, we have to bear in mind at all times that, that Satan right now in, in this time is, is always seeking. He's always out there seeking someone to devour. So we need to remain vigilantly focused. We can't let our spiritual guards down. Uh, we need to not give the devil an opportune time. It's kind of where we, where we started with the, the, how the devil pops in there at those moments. That's when the devil, he's looking for physical exhaustion, mental exhaustion, you name it. Those are the moments that he's looking for. We need to not give him that. Instead, we need to always remain spiritually focused, like we talked about, rather than tempted by and overwhelmed by physical things. We need to remain singularly focused, devoted to worshiping God and serving him only. And then we need, to be, we need to be securely focused, to have that secure focus, never tempted to test God, but instead to always trust God. Mm -hmm.